the series that we're in is called Reclaiming Community, and we started, kicked this off uh, last week, and I shared with you last week, I'm not going to try to recap it all, but just why we put this on the calendar about a year ago, talking about where we were in the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic and just the, the life that we were living and the community we were seeing and what it would look like to be to reclaim community and what were the things we lost that we wanted to try to reclaim. And uh, a phrase that kind of happened this year that I kind of really felt like kind of tied things up best was that most have moved past the pandemic, and that's true in terms of across the board uh, in the world. Really, most have moved past, uh, but many are not over it. Many are not over it, meaning that, that there's still a lot of things we're discovering. Matter of fact, this year with Camp Kid Jam, when our kids went to camp, um, we discovered, and, and I think the camp also discovered this, that a lot of the kids who sort of, you know, frequented and understood maybe overnight camp situations, they, they had all aged out of Camp Kid Jam, and all the kids that were kind of, kind of camp age, um, none of them had even spent a night away from home. You know, they hadn't stayed with grandparents. They hadn't stayed at night without uh, their parents because of COVID. And so there's just all sorts of things we continue to discover um, that's happening and, and our effects of it. So, so again, many are moved past. We're almost all past it, right? We're moving past it, but, but many are still not over it and maybe not over some of the effects that it's had on their life. And we talked about this idea of, again, reclaiming community. What does that mean in light of our culture. And so we talked last week about the Surgeon General's 82-page uh, report, you know, on the epidemic of loneliness. And I shared a bunch of statistics with you last week. One thing I didn't share was that um, one of the things they have in this report was just this massive spike, now this is going to be a surprise to you, spike in binge drinking, uh, marijuana use, and hallucin hallucinogens, that it almost doubled in the last two decades, and, and specifically last year year, especially when it comes to that middle-aged, not, we're not talking about young people, we're talking about 35 to 55 uh, age range. It almost doubled where one in every three claimed that that was becoming a problem, the binge drinking or the marijuana use or whatever the case was. And ultimately now it's almost half in terms of the younger uh, age, 19 to 30, or 19 to 35 is, is about half, one in, every, one, in every, one in every two people, right? Is, uh, uh, is experiencing some form of um, substance abuse in some way, shape, and form. So it's, it's huge. And one of the things I, I wanted to read, because I didn't read it last week, was just, again, the Surgeon General even acknowledges in the last few decades we've lived through a dramatic pace of change. And in the past few years, the more we've moved more, we've changed jobs more often, and we're living with technology that has profoundly changed how we interact with each other and how we talk to each other. And when he talks about this epidemic of loneliness, he says, you can feel lonely even if you have a lot of people around you because loneliness is truly about the quality of our connections, the quality of our connections. And so last week, I just walked you through a few things about the need for community, uh, the ABCs, accountability, belonging, and care, um, and that a lot of newer kind of pseudo-community things that we try to grasp a hold of have kind of replaced that accountability, A, with acceptance. You know, your gym and your book club and your tribe here and your group here of friends that really just want you to accept who they are, really affirming who they are. Don't question any of that. And I want to belong and I want to, and I want to be cared for so that this is going to be my group. This is going to be my tribe, my people. Um, and, and I shared last week, there's, 
You cannot remove accountability from the equation of a, of a healthy community, not because you and I are accountable to one another. Okay? We're, we're not. You, you're, you don't answer to me and I don't answer to you. But in a Christian community, in a healthy understanding of a spiritual community, we understand that we are going to answer to God, each one of us answer to him. And so the accountability that we share is that scripture calls us to motivate one another and encourage one another. Why? Because we both answer to God. So we need accountability and we need to be in groups to understand this healthy understanding of accountability, belonging, and care. And I shared last week that, hey, groups, you know, coming to church is great. Sermons are great. Worship is great. You know, the early church met in the temples and worshiped together. That's awesome. But they also met at homes, shared, shared with one another, shared each other's burdens. Why? Because uh, a, a gathering can encourage me to follow. So I can go to retreat. I can go to church services. I can do these things and gather with other Christians that can help me as I follow Christ. But it's our community... It's our community that really helps us follow through. It's the people you do life with that, that sort of see the ins and outs of your life that help you really work on, are you, are you practicing what you preach, so to speak? Are you doing the things you claim to believe? Are you actually living that out? And so we need our community because our community really does help us uh, follow through. But then there's this, and this is where we ended last week, this idea of, okay, yes, Matt, I get that. Yes, I get the big picture and understanding of, of, of the need for community, but something else, right? But you don't understand my life. You don't understand my schedule. You don't understand the time uh, commitments and the margin that I'm living with. You don't understand this. You don't understand the experiences I've had, right? I mean, have you ever showed up to a house? You know, sometimes you show up to people's houses and it's weird, right? Because people are weird sometimes, you know? Maybe it was a pet snake, but you don't know, right? Like, it's, it, there's some weird experiences you can have with people at their homes. So I get it. Like, you, maybe you've had a bad experience. I don't want to, doubt, to knock that. Maybe there's a dislike or a discomfort with mixed company, there's kids' schedules, sports, again, uh, school, sports, social stuff. Maybe you just don't like groups of people. Maybe there's a misunderstanding for introverts of what's expected. You just assume you're going to be attacked and, you know, interviewed the whole night long. Like, like, like that's, that's a misunderstanding. Uh, sometimes there are relationship dynamics, right, where one spouse wants to be there and the other spouse desperately doesn't, Right? No one deals with that in here, I'm sure. But yeah, like one spouse is pushing forward and the other one's not at all. So this is, this is a lot of this kind of yeah, but. And, and what I want to talk about is that, that that's expected. That's understandable. Like as a church, we understand that there are obstacles to community. There are obstacles to, to work through. But even when we train our group leaders, even when we train people who are kind of responsible for helping facilitate and foster community, we, we, we use this phrase to help us walk forward with the yeah buts. It's, it's address your resistance and manage the tension. Okay? And let me just, and this is, I don't know if Pastor Chris or somebody, we, early on, we, we, he kind of coined this and we use this for our training. Uh, here's the reason why we have to address it. We have to address, you do have to acknowledge and address what is it that thing that is inside of you that like puts the brakes on, right? Like, what's that thing inside you that's just like, yeah, that's a hard pass for me, right? What's that thing inside of you that's like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that? Oh, yeah, everybody, like, yeah, the community, okay, yeah. No. 
right? Like, like, what is that? What's, where is the resistance? What's causing that? So you do have to do some work to address what are the real resistances there, but you also have to manage the tension because, look, <laughs> relationships are weird. You know, community is not, is not a, a flawless thing. Like, community gets messy sometimes. Relationships get muddy. So it's like, you're going to have to address the tension that comes with being in a relationship with other messed up humans. So there, you have to address the resistance, but you also have to manage. It's not an excuse to not do it. It's that you have to manage uh, the tension. And so I want to just start us off with an understanding of where we are and what I've seen in our culture because... Um, I called this, this is what I kind of termed uh, the perfect storm, if you will, uh, during the last few years of COVID. Uh, things that were leading up to it, things that happened in the middle of it, and now a result of what we see in terms of people. So again, you, you may find yourself in this, uh, under seeing this, or at least seeing people in your life like this. So <clears throat> for the decades up to the pandemic, we already had a massive shift in communication, right, in connection connecting. And it was driving us towards digital connection, right? All social media, all, you know, I love social media. Most of the time I'm just, you know, jealous and paying attention to where you guys vacation all summer. So that's the way I use social media, right? Like I love social media and there's a lot of direct messages and easy ways to share things and do. That's great. Um, but then you already knew like from texting and digital communication, like we were already shifting into a digital convenience of like someone would call you and you would be like, that's weird, right? And then you'd text them back, what do you want? Is anybody tracking with me on this at all? Like, uh, if you're over 40, you kind of get that tension because we were raised on the home phone that we still answered, right, when it, when it rang. But everybody under 40 has had this tension where it's like, I'd so much rather, like, there's no answering machines, they don't even know what that is. Like, I'd so much rather just text you. Isn't texting easier? You know, put it in an email, you know? No, don't call me. Oh, heavens, don't call me. I don't need to talk to you about it. So we already had that going on. And then in the pandemic, social engagement actually became dangerous. I don't know if you remember this, but like, you guys remember, like you were going to kill somebody with your face. You know what I'm saying? Like it was dangerous to be around anyone. It was dangerous. It was like, it, it, was, it was just a constant high alert. And I don't know if you remember this either, but it didn't just, it wasn't just dangerous, it was like morally wrong. Not just illegal, because there was a lot of times where, you know, it was illegal for social people to do social things in a gathering. But it became this kind of morally like, if you were to get together with other people, you hated other people. Everybody with me? So, I, I mean, none of us would have guessed that this would ever be something that we would have experienced in our lifetime, that social engagement would have been dangerous and wrong. And then we began to see this personal interaction. We didn't notice it during the pandemic because everybody was in the same place that everybody else was in. We were all going through this together. But the social, inter but the, sorry, personal interaction in terms of me and you and personal interaction really kind of shifted to this on-demand, kind of within my arm's reach. So our interaction was 100% based on what I needed and what I wanted at the time. Does everybody know what I mean by on-demand? Think about it through like sitting in your couch at home or your chair at home. I want to watch the TV right now that I want to watch. I want to listen to what I want to listen to. I want to experience what I want to experience. And you can do all that in our society, media-wise, 
on demand. Well, we started to treat relationships that way. We started to treat relationships with, I mean, it took you a week to respond to that text, but then you texted them back and they didn't respond to you quickly and you're like, what's up with that? Why are they ghosting me? You know, why, you know where are they? And, and all of our connections, because of this, this isolation and because of this perfect storm, all became this on-demand interaction with people. And guys, that's just not how relationships work. That's not how people work. But we didn't notice it during the pandemic because we were all just happened to be in the same vein and doing the same thing with each other that now we're seeing the results. And what I see is just a lot of anxiety-filled, self-isolating existence with on-demand connection, right? And even if it wasn't you, even if you were like, no, nah, Matt, that wasn't me. I never changed. I never altered. I stayed the same. I never let it bother me. I ne-. Whatever. You had parents that, that bothered them. You had friends that it, it altered. Like, everyone changed. You changed the way you socially interacted. You changed the way you connected. You changed the way your interactions were done. And what was left was a lot of anxiety-filled Choosing to self-isolate and exist. Managing all people and all relationships at an arm's length. So when I talk about, hear me say this, when I talk about reclaiming community, I'm not talking about tweaking this. I'm not trying to find a way to just not have the anxiety. I'm not trying to find a way to, to, to keep the on-demand side of this thing, but just, you know, you can re-enter society and get back into other social bubbles. You know, that, again, if you read the Surgeon General Report, that's a lot of what their, their response is. Just, let's just tweak a few things. I'm not talking about tweaking things. I'm talking about going back to the understanding, getting past the obstacles that we have so that we can get to a true, fulfilling life-giving understanding of community. I call it a joy-filled, commissioning experience of Christ-centered community. Joy-filled meaning that it's satisfaction, it brings satisfaction, it, it, it fulfills the, the, the real longing that you have. Commissioning meaning that, you know, guys, we do life together. We're supposed to be doing this together so that why? Not just so we can share Christ with other people together, but that we can be better parents. We can be better spouses together. We can be better uh, humans together. We can be better friends. We can be better people to serve our community. Like that's part of this commissioning that we're called to do. And Christ-centered meaning that Christ is not just the center of it, but Christ is the purpose for it. Christ is the fuel for it. And again, you won't find this in any other pseudo-community outside of the church. Christ-centered community. But there's a few things, and I want you to just think about your obstacles. Again, we're going to talk about addressing the resistance in light of three characteristics to kind of move towards this that, that that are required of us to understand this kind of community. And the first one, it's hard for a lot of people, but the first one is priority. It has to become a priority in your life. And when I say priority, I just basically mean it's something you have to make time for. 
It's not something that you're going to naturally have. It's not something that you're going to naturally, uh, it's going to be maybe convenient. Again, it's not going to be driven by convenience. It's going to be driven by possibly some sacrifice. It's going to be driven by um, uh, the understanding that this is a need and you have to make time, make margin for it. It has to become priority. Here's how Paul says this to the, to the church in Rome as he's talking about their lives. He says, uh, this is the turn here where he goes from, uh, if you don't know, Romans 1 through 11 is a lot of theolo- theological understanding. 12 is where he makes the application turn. He says, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you, right? Let them be living and holy sacrifice, the kind he'll find acceptable. This is truly our way to worship him. And he says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. This is his challenge again, that, that again, it's not going to be convenient and it might not fit into the, the customs or patterns of the world because we do, we have a call to live counterculturally in this world. He says, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you actually think and the way you approach things. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And then in verse 3 he says, because of the privilege and authority that God's given me, I'm going to give you this warning because he's going to walk into application from this point forward. And he says, I want to give you this warning right out of the gate. Don't think you're better than you really are. That's a great verse to memorize, isn't it? Don't, don't think you're better than you really are. As a matter of fact, he says, be honest in your evaluation of yourself. One translation says, use sober judgment in understanding yourself measuring yourself by the faith that he's given us. That's a big, that's a big phrase too. Our measuring tool is, is the faith that he's given us. Just as our bodies have many parts, each part is a special function. And in verse 5, so it is with Christ's body, right? We're many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. This is what we read last week. Understanding how we fit individually into the whole does make a difference in terms of us understanding, again, commissioning, purposes, be, be a family of Christ together. That's part of it. But it ha- again, it has to be a priority. And it's hard to make this a priority if you are the priority in everything in your life. Okay, so, so this is where, again, he's saying, use sober judgment. Use, be honest about the fact that if everything is about you, then all the priorities point to you. And he says, you're going to have to shift into all the obstacles that you have might just have to do with the fact that the priority in life is you, not necessarily the priority to live in community. And he says, be, be sober about that. And you don't compare yourself with others because that's an easy thing to do. That's what we usually do. We measure ourselves by other people. Oh, I'm so much more connected than Courtney is. God, pfft, forever, you know? I'm so much more holy than Terry. You know, like I'm, I'm so, I can just look at people and start comparing, be like, ah, yeah, I, you know, I'm out serving their, that person like crazy. And we feel really good about ourselves since we find a few people that are worse than us. But that's not how we measure. He says, be honest about who you are, measured by, measured by, right? Measuring using our faith that he's called us to. This faith of living in community, this faith of, of, of being surrendered to him, living our lives as a, as a holy and sacrifice, that's our worship to him. And remember, he said, as we read last week, the purpose in all of this, when we get together, when we meet, right, is to encourage one another. He says, let us hold tightly without wavering, right, to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted 
to keep his promises. And then it says, let us think of new ways or ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. We've got to motivate one another. And it goes on to say, uh, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near, right? God's coming back. We need to encourage each other. That's part of this accountability. That's part of why we're in community. And, and, and part of this is this neglecting, like, we're not going to stop investing and sowing into community so that we can continue to receive and understand what the blessing of community does for our faith. And yet there's, there's two sides of the coin that I oftentimes see when I talk with people in church, right? One is uh, the ignorance side of the coin, and I call it in, in the proper way ignorance. Like, you don't know what you don't know. You've, you've never been a part of a church community. You've never really been a part of a, of a family of people that uh, do life together. You've never had those kind of close uh, Christian friendships and relationships. So you don't know what you don't know. And so a lot of times we want to give you examples and we want to show you ways and start group, new groups with all new people so that people can connect with another, you know, starting all at the same place. But then there's another side of the coin, which is not ignorance, but apathy. Because you can get really into a rut when you're in Christian community because you'll sow into it and you'll sow into it and you'll get your nine friends and you'll have your, your, your clique and your people and then you lose focus as to why you were called to foster community to begin with. And you haven't done it in years and maybe you had kids and maybe you got busy and you used to serve but you don't serve anymore and you used to partner but you don't partner anymore and you used to be a part of a group but you're not really a part of those groups anymore. And, and, and you start, and I've talked to people who have been here for eight or nine years and they look around the church and they're like, who are all these new people? I don't even know who these people are. Yeah. It's because you stopped sowing into community. You stopped investing in the understanding of what it is to co-mission together and bring about this community for our faith. Again, it can't all be about you. And most of the time when you see people frustrated, it's because it's still all about them. Well, I'm not getting the community I used to get when I was here. Well, you haven't sown into it for years. I'm, I'm sorry. But your apathy is catching up with you. So there's ignorance and apathy. And we, you know, we want to be able to, to preach these kind of messages and talk about it so that you don't get there. Or if you're there, you can make shifts and, and change. Like, make it a priority again. It, it really is going to fight this counterculture of convenience and on-demand relationships when you make it a priority. The second is um, selfless. And I told you this last week. This is our scripture card uh, for today. We're going to get ready to read an example uh, that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians together. That's in the green. But on the back side of this is this list of one another references. This we call the law of Christ. The one another we're called to, to live out the law of Christ um, and live for one another. It's part of the selfless nature of our faith. And so uh, I wanted to just show you that. We're going to look at it again in a minute, but I wanted you to see it's on the back of this card so you can have uh, and take that in a reference for you. But right now I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 11. This is an example. You know, it's hard sometimes to find examples for everything, but this is an interesting example of when Paul was encouraging the church, but he also had to kind of correct them on something, and he was not encouraging them about meeting together because they were doing some stuff and they met together that was wrong. So I just found that as an interesting segue for, for us because of the selfless nature we're called to uh, in our 
community. So here's the example. This is in verse 17. He says, but in the following instructions, I cannot praise you for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you that you who have God's approval will be recognized. When we, you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you, hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others, and as a result, some go hungry, while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. That's Paul. Good, good, good job, Paul. Like he's just like, nope, not gonna, you're no, you don't get any gold stars on this one. Because they were really not approaching their getting together with a selfless attitude. They really didn't have this, the heart for what they understood in terms of even the Lord's Supper. He goes on, I'm not going to read it, but he goes on and gives that example we oftentimes read when we take communion at partner night and Easter and things, where he goes over kind of the, the here's what happens when you take communion. The purpose of this is, is to talk about why Paul is kind of challenging them. So let's go to verse 27. He gets done explaining again kind of what communion is supposed to look like, and he says, so anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. This is why you should examine yourself. Interesting language there, right? Be honest in your evaluation or examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink of the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. This is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if you would examine, or if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not bring condemnation or not be condemned along with the world. So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other, right? If you're really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourself when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive, which I love that last sentence because that's Paul basically saying, there's a whole lot more that you're in trouble about. You just got to wait till I get there. It's just an interesting example where Paul wants to say, look, it's not always good when you get together because sometimes you're not getting together for the right reasons. You're not approaching this the right way, especially when it came to the Lord's Supper. Like you're, <laughs> I know that everybody, to help you understand communion is the Lord's Supper, our little plastic things back there with the wafer and the drink. I know that in your mind, you're like, how does anyone call that supper? But back in this time, they would actually eat dinner as a, as a family and as believers, they would come and share a meal. And that was a part of their celebration of the Lord's Supper, very similar to what they would do. And at that time, again, they would take a moment in their meal to acknowledge the bread and the cup as the blood and body of Christ. So basically, it's kind of like, you're just showing up for food. You're just showing up for a, a meal. And most of you guys are eating ahead of time, and you're not leaving anything else for anybody else. You're not sharing, and pe therefore, all that's left is wine, and people are getting drunk. Some people are starving. And, and, and the purpose of this is just to say, like, it's not brand new to our culture that people 
sometimes if they get together, they're not always getting together for the right reasons. Our call, where he kind of ends that with like, wait for each other, share this with one another, like experience this together, co-missioning, is because we have the selfless call to one another, one another, right? To lift one another up. This is the law of Christ. Uh, we, we shared this before. I'm going to just read four of these quick references, but that's on the back of the sheet. Like, this is the call we are given. This is the faith that we're measuring our lives by. Uh, this is in uh, Galatians 6. I'm going to start with that one. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. This is why we, ha- why we say this. Share your, you know, you can't share burdens with people you don't know. Like you can't, you can't shoulder a burden with somebody you haven't met and, and been in relationship with. You can't do that from an on-demand connection. Keep going. Owe nothing to anyone, this is Romans, except the, your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of the law. I know a lot of you get worried about the rules to follow to be a good Christian. Like, I, you know, are we following these rules, following these rules? You're like, look, your obligation is to live out that command of Christ to love one another. And it's going to fulfill all those other things if you do this right. It's going to do it. Again, that's, that's how we are selflessly called to live as holy sacrifices. Here's, um, let us know, or sorry, let us not become conceited or provoke one another, be jealous of one another. Like it's not about showing off. It's not your groups, your connections and communities shouldn't just be a bunch of rip, rich people in a cove that get together because you have boats and like, you know, part of the community of faith is going to be, you're going to see some diversity. You're going to see, some, I talked about this last week, you're going to see people get together that, that have different things that are different levels with careers that are different levels. Why? Because Christ is what brings us together. Not just our affinities and our affiliations. Don't be selfish. This is to the Philippian church. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out for just your own interests, but think interest in others too. Again, going back to the selfless call of, of, of Christians, our lives, is what is supposed to fuel this community. And, and and when someone shows up and they're just in it for themselves, you guys already know what this feels like. It can ruin a group pretty fast. When somebody, you know, when, when more than one, when several show up and it's, and it's like they don't really care about serving anybody else, they're just sort of looking about what's in it for them, it, it can be a problem. And this is where some people have had bad experiences because they haven't really put on this understanding of a selfless nature, the selfless call of our faith, and how it plays into our relationships and community with one another. Here's just the third one, and I know this is a tough one too. It's the, it's the art of being vulnerable. And, and by vulnerable, I'm talking about just being known. Like the heart not just to love and know others, but to allow yourself to be known by others. Now, can everybody, you know, handle your dirty laundry? No, right? You know, as my mom would say, there just needs to be people in your life who who know who you are, warts and all, right? Warts and all. There's people that need to know who you are because it's part of how God designed relationships and community to be. 
This is James, the brother of Jesus, said part of this is, is that we confess our sins to one another and we pray for each other so that we may be healed. Now, it's not the confession alone that, that you know, I'm going to share my sins with you that I experience healing. It's the reason I share my life with you so that you can pray for me and I can pray for you. And that is part of how we experience the healing. When I know other people are praying for not just my sin, but the consequences of my sin and the struggle against sin, this is part of what community was supposed to, to do. And, and you won't know who you can trust if you don't at least invest in relationships and begin to try to find those people in your life that you can do life with. It requires intentionality, priority, selflessness in order to do that. But that vulnerable side of you to be known, it's not easy. This is uh, one of the Proverbs that my wife and I love, that an open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Okay? Now, I know no one likes this verse. The only reason we like this verse is because no one likes this verse. Right? Why? Because no, none of us want to be wounded. We don't want to be rebuked. We don't want to be challenged. We don't want to be told that we might be wrong. But better is a wound from someone trying to love you well, selflessly, trying to love you well, than a bunch of people who say they have your back, but they don't care how you live your life. You know, your gym tribe doesn't care if you get divorced. You, you know, your, your, your book club is only going to go so far when, you, when your parenting is on the rocks. It's that Christian brother or sister in Christ that can challenge and maybe see something you don't see right? Like that's, that's, what, that's what this means when it says wounds from an actual friend, from a sincere friend. Oh, they're not pleasant in the moment. Don't hear me gloss over that. But there's so much better to get an open rebuke than people who don't really, who's supposed to care, but they don't care. They don't really care. Now, again, Part of this, especially when you get to this vulnerable part, is not just addressing the resistance because I know that the stuff rises up in you and it wants to put the brakes on and it wants to, to stop. But you have to manage the tension that you just need to know is going to be there. Okay? Is everyone going to be your best friend? No. Right? Is everyone going to be selfless in your community of faith? No. Not all the time. We don't do this right all the time. Is everybody going to be able to be trusted with your mess? No. But that doesn't mean you can't, that doesn't mean you stop from engaging in relationships. I had somebody ask me, we did a series called Messy a while ago, and they asked me specifically, they were like, you know, they have a lot of stuff going on in their life. And they said, hey, you know, do you think that uh, there's, there's community at Journey, that there's people at Journey um, can handle my mess, so to speak? And I was honest, and I said, not everybody, right? I, I mean, I just know, like, not, not everybody will. There might be some who can. That's not a point to stop you and say, okay, well, let's address the resistance and it's okay to stop. No, you have to manage the fact that that's the tension, 
right? You have to manage the fact that maybe people can't meet your needs right now. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't want to use you to meet their needs. Again, it can't be all about you, because then it's not a priority and it's not selfless. Like, there, there has to be an understanding that you still are called to engage regardless. No, not everybody can handle it. And listen, don't, don't hear that. Don't take people to lunch today and tell them your worst, darkest secrets. Like, matter of fact, no one go to lunch today. You know what I'm saying? Like, just, just, just don't do that. Like, that's not what I'm telling you to do. But I'm saying that as you manage the tension, you're supposed to walk forward understanding that it's possible that you'll be wounded. It's possible that people will not handle your mess well. It's possible that you'll, get, you'll go to somebody's house and they're just weird. So you don't go back to that house, okay? You find another house. We have lots of groups, right? Like, there, there, there's, there's something where you just, you still got to keep moving forward. You got to manage the tension. I had another, another guy years ago. He was a part of our church. Uh, he's moved now, but he, he was struggling with his... Uh, previous life as a homosexual, and he, he was still struggling through um, same-sex attraction, but he was trying to live out his Christian life. So he was balancing that tension himself of following Jesus and yet still having all these feelings and living this life. And he wanted to go, he was a part of our church, and he wanted to go on one of our men's uh, B3 events. He wanted to go on our camping trip. And he asked me specifically, he was like, he was like hey, do you think, um, you think everybody's going to be cool with me at this camping trip? Like all the men are going to be fine? And I said, probably not. Like, I was just being honest. There might be some guys who don't get it, don't like it, might make them uncomfortable. And I was like, but there'll be some guys that you're going to connect with. And there's going to be some people maybe you'll go into some cool relationships with. And I can, I'm just telling you, he's, again, he's moved. He's still trying to follow Jesus. But I guarantee you, I can tell you, two of the people that he connected with at that, on that weekend trip are still people he reaches out to and connects to to this day. Okay, managing the tension means you move forward. You do have to address why the resistance is there, but it is not an excuse for you to not move forward. Make it a priority. Understand the call, the selfless call of the, of the law of Christ and the call to be known. So I'm going to read this verse. This is a verse I read again last week, but it's so important around this topic. Since God has chosen you to be the holy people He love, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Why? Because we all need that. We all need it. You're going, to go to, you're going to be a part of a community. You're going to start something. You're going to go to a meeting. You're going to be a part of serving. And somebody's going to say something stupid and dumb, you know, and it's going to be hurtful or it's going to be offensive. And it's like, you know, you've you got to be prepared for that. Matter of fact, the next verse says, we have to make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends us. You know what make allowances means? It means pre-decide to forgive them. Pre-decide. They're going to say something dumb. It's going to offend you. You have to pre-decide before you go. And, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit will prompt you like, oh, they're going to say it. Oh, something's dumb's coming, you know? And they're going to say it. And you've made the decision ahead of time. Grace. I'm not going to hold offense to that. 
Why? Why do you have to pre-decide? Well, he said, well, you have to forgive them because Jesus forgave you. That's why. And then he goes on to say, above all, you're to clothe yourself with love. Why? Because it's what binds us all together in perfect harmony. It's the love of God that, that brings about that, that togetherness, that community. And then it goes on to say, and the peace that comes from Christ, if it's ruling in your hearts, remember you are members of one body and called to live in peace, so always be thankful. Again, Paul's going to come back to that example over and over and over again, that you are a part of a body. You're a part of a community whether you want to or not as a follower of Christ. You are part of the body and the family of God. You want to experience that joy-filled, right? Joy-filled existence with Christ at the center. Go back to those three things, um, Tim, or sorry, I think it's the next line. You're going to have to make it a priority, intentional in your life. Whether anyone else does or not, you're going to have to remember the law of Christ is to share each other's burdens and to count others higher than yourself and bring a selfless attitude into this. The same way he said our attitude should be like Christ when Christ came and did not put on airs because he was the Son of God, but he came in humility. And you're going to have to bring about a heart to be vulnerable and to let others be vulnerable. To respect that, honor that. When people accidentally or on purpose lay out their mess before you, just remember your mess is just as messy. Give them grace, that tender-hearted mercy and kindness and love that binds us together. You cannot let the resistance keep you from managing the tension and moving forward to the faith he's called you to. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just am so thankful that your spirit, again, our, we're called to model and reflect you, Jesus. And so when I think about that, that, that passage where, you know, our hearts should be the same, our attitudes should be the same, that you didn't count your, your, your privileged authority, you, you, you came in humility and sacrificed yourself for us, and yet God just in our community of faith, you've called us to live selfless lives, to make it a priority, to, to, to be vulnerable with others. And God, I know there's a lot of resistance to those things. I know we don't live with margin. We don't live with the, the priorities in our life, the right priorities. We don't, we don't necessarily do that. But God, I pray by your Holy Spirit, you convict us today, you challenge us today, you encourage us today where we need to be encouraged so that we will move forward and manage the tension well, and still get to enjoy that joy-filled, commissioning experience you've called us to in our faith in Christ-centered community. And it's your name we pray this. Amen.